Um, so we've been going through the, the Gospel of Luke over the last few months, and we know the author of Luke is, is Dr. Luke, and he's, he's a historian, he's a very um, educated man who's given us a whole bunch of evidence that's leading up to our text this morning. And um, he's accurately described and recorded the arrival and the birth of, of Jesus. And um, now we get almost to the beginning of, of his ministry. One Bible commentator puts it this way. He says, Mission accomplished, census enrollment completed, miraculous baby birthed, circumcision performed, name given, purification carried out, Firstborn presented and dedicated, and blessings and prophecies heard and stored away in amazement. And that's just in the first two chapters. And today we complete the end of uh, chapter 2. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, we are going to read from verse 39 to verse 52. And we're going to learn how Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2. Verse 39 to verse 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. I hope, parents, you can relate to that terror, okay, if that's ever happened to you. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Father, we so grateful, Lord, that you saw fit to record these narratives for us to help us understand a little bit more about Jesus as a, as a young child, but also to understand his parents who were responsible to, to raise him. And we do pray that you would give us understanding this morning as we learn from this narrative. We pray, Father, for the parents amongst us. We pray for the children amongst us. We pray for couples amongst us. We pray for all of us today that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears to the truths that have been recorded for us today. May we not leave here without 
learning something new about our, our Savior from your Scriptures. We pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to, and hearts to embrace and, and minds to understand the Scriptures today. And we pray that our response would be honoring to you. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as a youth, I remember the, the WWJD craze. I think they still have some bracelets and, and Bible covers that, that have this WWJ embroidered onto them. It stands for, What Would Jesus Do? I remember reading an article about those who, who started this, this craze, and they said that they wanted young people to stop and think about their choices before engaging in an activity that could lead them into sin. Now, of course, as long as the answer to that question is based on Scripture rather than our own ideas, it's a good question to ask, isn't it? What would Jesus do? But of course, Jesus never had to ask that question because He was the sinless Son of God who was unable to sin. Jesus Christ is the only one ever to have lived a sinless, perfect life. Even though he was tempted, he never ever did sin. But not everyone believes that. We need to also remember that. We also saw in 1 John how the apostle wrote the letter to equip the church against the people who were claiming that Jesus was not in fact the, the Son of God. So not everyone believed that, and Luke knew this, and he records for us. Even today, unfortunately, not everyone believes that Jesus is the, the Son of God, re, who has been incarnated, who lived a, a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death as a ransom for our sins. So first and foremost, if we, are to be, if we call ourselves Christians, we need to believe this. We need to believe this in order for him to, to be our Savior. But in addition to that, it doesn't just stop there. In addition to that, Jesus is also our primary example for godly living. Even though we may have other um, role models who are, who are godly, Jesus is our primary example for godly living. He lived a perfect life. He lived in perfect dependence on the Father, always obedient to His will. And this was true not only after he began his public ministry, but also from a, from a young youth, as we will see in our passage this morning. And here in Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to verse 52, we have the only reference to the years between Jesus' birth and the beginning of his public ministry when he was about 30. Some of the apocryphal writings that were inserted between the Old Testament and the New Testament um, that have since been taken out of the scriptures, sometimes record some fanciful legends about Jesus as a, as a young boy. And one of, those, one of those fanciful legends talks about Jesus who touched some clay birds and they came to life and these clay birds ended up flying away. Another fanciful story is about a plow that, that Joseph had, had botched up and Jesus instantly came to his rescue and made it right. And then there are some other legends that are more disturbing. 
There's a legend about young Jesus who curses some other children who are troubling him, and immediately these children wither up and they, they drop down dead. Now, these are all fanciful stories that are not recorded in the Scripture because they are, they are not true. But the account of Luke, of Jesus getting left behind at the temple, is not one of these fanciful tales. In just a few verses, Luke records for us the only account we have of Jesus' entire childhood. And we don't have any other more information. And some people have asked, why? Why don't we have more information? Why is that all left out? Um, I don't know. I don't know all the answers to that. But one commentator um, and Bible expositor and, and pastor by the name of Charles Simeon, he wrote this. He said, there is little related of him to gratify our curiosity, but enough to regulate our conduct. So let me just say that again. There is little related of him, talking about Jesus as a young child, to gratify our curiosity, but there is enough to regulate our conduct. And I think that's why this, this story has been included in the scriptures. Because Jesus is our primary example. And enough evidence is there, enough written record is there for us to see how we are to live our lives, even as, as young people. Even as young people. And we should imitate Jesus, the Son of God, in spiritual growth, in routine faithfulness, and in commitment to God's purpose. And that's what we see in our passage this morning. And today I want to show you that the human Jesus grew. He grew up as a child in the ways that all children do. And each step of growth prepared him to fulfill his, his father's eternal mission. So my first point this morning is simply Jesus grew as a child. And we see that in verse 39 and verse 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So notice there that, that Luke records that after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town where they lived. Remember, they didn't live in, in Bethlehem. They lived in Galilee. I want you to notice also that Joseph and Mary were, were utterly obedient to their devotion to God. Look at the first part of verse 39. It simply says that they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. So in other words, Jesus grew up in a godly home. His parents loved God. And they tried earnestly to be obedient to the commandments from the Scriptures. And it was in that context that they, that they raised Jesus, a godly mother and father here. That's the setting we have here. But look at verse 41. It mentions their custom. It talks about this custom in going to the feast of the Passover every year. So this couple lived in a, in a normal routine, but it was a faithful routine to the commandments of God. I wonder if, suppose we had a son like, like Jesus, who was, who was 
amazing and brilliant in, in absolutely everything. I'm sure we would have said, you know, this kid is going to be a success someday. Did you see how the, the rabbis were, were amazed at his, his answers? Let's enroll him at an advanced school for future rabbis. Let's, let's move to Jerusalem where he can be discovered by the, by the leaders. This kid has a future. They didn't do that. Mary and Joseph didn't do that. They took him back to Nazareth. And they parented him and modeled him for faithfulness. They lived faithful lives. And they showed that in their obedience to the law of the Lord, to the things of God. I think one of the chief concerns that parents should have, of course, is the welfare of their children's souls. Is the welfare of their children's souls. One of the main ways you can help them spiritually is to live before them each day a routine that is faithful in the things of God. Reading your Bible, praying, regularly attending church, honesty, kindness toward one another in the family, and of course concern for the lost. If you are modeling these things in your life, your children are going to follow your example, isn't it? And we see a wonderful example set for us here by Mary and Joseph. And we should, of course, imitate Jesus and Joseph and Mary in their routine faithfulness. We New Covenant Christians have the joy and privilege of gathering every Lord's Day on a Friday here in, in the UAE. And we gather together to, to worship the living God. And there is nothing more powerful than a family sitting together in church and young people who may even be bored to tears of what is going on within the hour of, of the service. But these children may realize, you know, my mom and dad are, are pretty smart. They, they're pretty active. They, they, they're fairly busy people. You know, they've got things to do. They've got people to see. But every Friday, they stop everything and they worship God. Why? Hmm. God must be pretty important to them. He must be more important than anything else. If they go to church and make that a priority, I hope your children see that in your routine faithfulness. If there's anything that they learn from you, that could be the most important thing, isn't it? We can learn something from the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph to make sure that their son was under the, the means of, of grace, following the commandments of God's word. This is a huge lesson that we can teach our children just by example, not even by our, by our words, that God is more important than anything else. When we stop our work, when we stop our play, and we just worship God, we make a point to our children that He is indeed more important than anything else. When we gather with God's people, when we come together for our home groups, we're making a statement to our children that He is more important than anything else. We declare with our lips and with our life that He's more important than anything else in this world. Luke tells us in verse 40, that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The point that Luke makes 
is that Jesus grew in the ways that, that all children do. But with the added benefit of a faithful mother and father. Please notice that. They raised him intentionally. And they prepared him to fulfill his father's eternal mission. There is an unbelievable, uh, unexplainable rather, mystery here. In that although Jesus was, was fully God, yet as a man, he had to grow spiritually. I don't understand all of that. But we see, look at verse 40. And then as, again in verse 52, it tells us that, that Jesus increased in wisdom. It says, it says it twice in this passage. I think wisdom here in the, in the Hebrew scriptures comes from a word meaning skill. So the artisans who, who worked to, to build the tabernacle had the, the God-given skill and talent to take raw materials and, and form them into a beautiful finished product. And spiritually, the, the wise men or women take the circumstances of life and they weave them into a beautiful, finished product that gives God all the glory. And that's what we want to do with our children, isn't it? That's what we spoke about early this morning at our parenting class. And if you still haven't joined us and you've got children that you want to weave into a beautiful, finished product for God's glory, come join us. Come hear what we, we talk about and how we encourage each other to do that. But the Word of God is the blueprint that He has given us to follow, isn't it? Not just some philosophical, man-made ideology. We construct our lives according to the blueprint that He has, he has given to us. If you've ever built a home, you obviously need a, a plan to do that. You need a drawn-out plan with all the details and all the materials and all the prices. You, you wouldn't want a a contractor, you wouldn't hire a contractor who showed up on the job with, with a bunch of, of wood and some nails and some bricks and just started doing his own thing without a plan, would you? And you'd say to him, well, where's the plan? And you'd say, well, I don't need a plan. I'm just going with the flow. I'm just going with the spirit here. And you can imagine what type of house will be built if, he, if you let him do that, isn't it? But yet many Christians do that. They construct their, their lives in that fashion. They've hardly ever glanced at, at God's blueprint, much less studied it, so they know how to live their lives and they know what God wants. They just, they just wing it. They just wing it and hope that their children are going to turn out right. And often if you challenge them, and this has been my experience, you challenge these people, they they accuse, they accuse you of being legalistic. And they say they, they just follow the Spirit, and I'm not following the Spirit, and, and, and I need to let the Spirit do the work. The Spirit is the teacher. Yes, He's the teacher, but He uses the blueprint, folks. He uses the Word of God to help us construct our lives so that when the winds come and the storms come, our house will be built on the solid rock, and it will not fall. What type of house are you building, parents? What type of example are you, are you living? What type of children are you, are you going to give to the world when they turn 18, 19, 20 years old? The fact that Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, could intelligently interact with his, 
Jewish teachers shows that he was taught the scriptures, show that he, he knew the scriptures, he was knowledgeable about the scriptures. And it tells us in our passage, he was growing in wisdom, which implies that he was applying God's word to his daily life. So parents, do your children see you applying God's word to your daily life? Do they see you hearing the scriptures and hearing the sermons and applying what God is teaching to your life? Or do they see what the Pharisees did? Hypocrisy. But we see in our passage, this wasn't the case with Joseph and Mary. There was no hypocrisy here. What they said and what they did were not two different things. They raised their children according to the Scriptures. And Jesus grew as a child. And my second point is that Jesus grew as a boy. Look at verse 41. Luke tells us in verse 41 that Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So once again, I want you to notice that Joseph and Mary were completely obedient in their devotion to God. They went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And during the feast of the Passover, Jerusalem was overcrowded by several hundred thousand people who would come from all over to worship at the temple. And people came from all over the world, not just Israel. Of course, people had to bring a sacrifice as well. It is estimated that, that during the Feast of the Passover, approximately 500,000 animals were sacrificed on behalf of Jewish worshippers. That was a bloody affair. Imagine your children seeing that every single year. It's going to teach them something, isn't it? It's going to teach them that there is a, a sacrifice needed for the atonement of our sins. And Jesus saw this every year as he was brought to the temple. And all Jewish males were required by Old Testament law to attend the temple three times a year. At the Feast of the Passover, at Pentecost, and, and the Feast of Tabernacles. We see that in Exodus chapter 23. Our women were, were not required to attend all the time, but they, they could if they, if they wanted to. But we see in verse 42, when Jesus was 12 years old, it tells us that Joseph and Mary and Jesus went up according to custom. According to their custom. This is something they did all the time. This was a special year for Jesus, though. He had just turned 12 years old. So this was most likely his 12th visit to Jerusalem for this specific feast, this Passover feast. But this trip was significant because the next year, the following year, Jesus would turn 13. And at 13, in the Jewish tradition, he would become a man. He would become a man. So every Jewish boy became a man at the age of 13. Even today, they, the Jewish people celebrate this bar mitzvah. They call it a, a bar mitzvah. They didn't have that during Jesus' time, but they had the temple where they would bring their, their children every year. In Jesus' day, parents were encouraged to bring their 12-year-old boys to the temple so that they could become familiar with the temple and, of course, the feasts. And here, of course, the, the teachings that were going on from the, 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 the law of Moses. 
So these boys were usually given a, a lot of attention, much like a lot of attention is given to any child who's going through that, that stage of life that marks a, a major transition of life from, like, from a boy to a man or, or, or graduation ceremonies like, like we do today. So Jesus was, was now just a boy, but he was on the brink of becoming a man, according to their Jewish customs. In a year, he was about to assume responsibilities for himself with respect to the, the law of God. And when the feast was ended, as Joseph and Mary were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but they supposed that he was in the, the other group, each supposing that he was with the, the other group. They went a day's journey without seeing Jesus, we see in verse 43. Now, Nazareth was about a three-day journey to Jerusalem. So people would travel in large groups, of course, for, for safety reasons, as well as for, um, for company. And in order to ensure that the men uh, didn't outpace the, the women, they usually had the younger children walk in the front, and then the women, and then the men right at, at the back. And it's probably likely that Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph, and Joseph probably thought that uh, Jesus was with, was with Mary. And so they both thought him to be in the other group, and they continued for a day without seeing him. And when the group stopped for the night, Jesus didn't come to his parents. And that's when they began to fret. That's when they began to search for him among all their acquaintances and all of their friends. When, when they did not find him, of course, they returned to Jerusalem the next day, searching for him there. So Luke says that they found Jesus after three days. We see that in verse 46. Some people think they spent three days looking for Jesus in Jerusalem. But more likely, they spent one day walking to Nazareth, another day walking back to Jerusalem, and then on the third day, they probably found Jesus at the, at the temple. So after three days, they found him there. And where is he? He's sitting among the teachers. He's listening to them. And we see in verse 46, he's asking them questions. And he, his questions were probably profound. I'm sure they were. He probably wanted to understand what they knew about the coming Messiah. And Luke goes on to say in verse 47 there, that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But then in verse 48, Joseph and Mary, they find Jesus. And when his parents saw him there, they were astonished. Look at what the, the scripture says in verse 48. His mother says to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, of course, Mary is understandably distressed here. I mean, who, what mother wouldn't be who has lost their, their son and haven't seen him for, for three days? But I think there's something else here. I think there's something much more profound. I think she forgot, maybe for a moment or for time, who Jesus actually was. She forgot that he was on a mission, that he was, of course, the, the, the Son of God. She forgot that he was fulfilling his heavenly Father's eternal purpose. And so he says to them, look at verse 49, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know 
that I must be in my father's house. That's the key verse here in the whole passage. Underline it in your Bible. This is a hugely important statement. This is the first time recorded in Scripture in Jesus' life that he claims to be the Son of God. Now, some people say that Jesus never claims to be the Son of God. Well, underline that verse. Right here, at 12 years old, Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. This could be the very first time or in this time period that Jesus is recognizing his unique sonship to God. And he's recognizing what his mission is. He's understanding what his mission is. And his devotion to God increases, of course, and he grows spiritually, that the Bible tells us. And he understands his purpose more so than his parents did, unfortunately. We see here that his devotion to God takes precedence over his devotion to his family. He now starts to pursue God's will for his life more than his mother and father's will for him. And Jesus here sets the priority of his commitment to the Heavenly Father above his love for his parents. Of course, I'm not saying we mustn't love our family members. We all must love our family members. But our love for Jesus must take precedence if a conflict arises. If we are told to sin, if we are told to disobey God's word, where is your allegiance towards? And the word translated must be, look there in verse 49. It's a very important word. It means it is necessary. It means it is necessary. It's a term that Luke often uses to help us explain the, the mission of Jesus. Luke says in chapter 4, verse 43, he records for us Jesus who said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. He says in, in um, um, chapter 9, verse, verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and, and scribes. It is necessary that this happens. He also says in, in chapter 13 that Jesus must go to Jerusalem. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. In chapter 17, he says Jesus must suffer. In chapter 19, he says he must remain with Zacchaeus, the same word. It is necessary, he must. In chapter 22, verse 37, he must be numbered with the transgressors. In chapter 24, verse 7, he must suffer, he must die, he must be raised again. And there's so many other verses, and I don't have time to show you. But Luke uses this word very intentionally to help us understand how important this is. This repeated word shows that Jesus, even at the age of 12, he was motivated. He was driven. He understood the need to do the Father's will. And I think too many professing Christians are more concerned about their own will and their own business than God's will. Now they make time for, for all the things that they want to do, and they squeeze God in here and God in there. 
had a conversation recently with someone who was coming to our church. And I noticed that he hadn't been coming to church for a while. And I asked him, why, why, why aren't you coming to church? And he said to me, well, Fridays, I'm, I'm busy. I get to, to do things with my family, and we get to go enjoy things. And Fridays are just, are just too busy. I can't, I can't make it on a Friday. Well, if someone has to force you to come to church, then you're probably not a Christian. If someone has to manipulate you to come to church, then you're probably not want to be part of the people of God. You're probably not a Christian. If your will is not God's will, there's a problem, folks. If all you want to do is enjoy the things of the world, then where is your love for God? Don't call yourself a Christian if you don't want to submit to the will of God. And the Scriptures tell us it is God's will God, God's will for us to meet together. It is God's will that we do not forsake the gathering of the saints. If Jesus has redeemed us, we are not our own, folks. The scripture said he has bought us with a price. He saved us for a purpose. And he gifted us so that we can spend our lives serving him. And that's what makes our life worth living. We glorify God and we enjoy Him forever. You're not going to enjoy God forever if you're living for your own will, folks. You're not going to enjoy God at all. You will be bored. And your life will not have a purpose. It won't make sense. While not all are called into the pastor, I'm not saying we must all become missionaries or, or pastors or go to a foreign country or a foreign culture with the gospel Every Christian is called to serve God in some capacity. And if you don't understand that, or you don't want that, or you don't have a, have a sense of this mission that God has, has given to us, you're not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Let me just say that clearly. You're running after your will, trying to fulfill your purposes for your life. You're probably living for yourself. But the Bible calls all Christians to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. He died for us. Remember that, folks. Not so that we can live a life that is empty. Not so that we can live a life that just fulfills our own lusts and our own pleasures. He died for us. And we should imitate Jesus Commitment here. There's a wonderful example, this primary example that we have here of Jesus' unshakable commitment to God's purposes above everything else. And Luke points out that Joseph and Mary, of course, did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. We see that in verse 50. They didn't understand that now, they didn't understand it yet, but I think they should have. I think his parents should have. Remember, angels had told them both on separate occasions that he was the Son of God. They knew that. But they didn't fully understand this. Not now. They would later. They would later understand. And we'll see that as we continue our study in Luke. But my next point is Jesus grew as a man. Jesus grew as a boy, but he also grew as a man. Luke says that Jesus went down with Joseph and Mary and came to Nazareth, 
and he was submissive to them. And it tells us in verse 51, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. A year later, Jesus became a son of the law. When he turned 13 years old, he became a man as far as the, the Jewish law was concerned. But he continued to obey his parents. He continued to submit to them. And since Joseph is not mentioned again, most Bible scholars believe that Joseph probably died quite young. And then Jesus would take over Joseph's carpentry business, his father's business, and take care of his mother. That's probably what happened. But unlike most other young men who got married in their teenage years, we know that Jesus didn't. He stayed single. He never did marry. And we know he began his public ministry when he was about 30 years old. And so he stayed in Nazareth for another 18 years before he started his public ministry, before he started the public part of his mission. And throughout all those years, he was submissive to his parents. But verse 52 tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was really far superior than any child protege. He was perfect in, in every way. He knew everything perfectly. He increased in favor with God and man. But the question you might be, be asking and the question that I've posed to you before is, why did Jesus come into a world as a child? Why didn't he come into the world as a, as a full-grown man? Well, the first man, Adam, remember, he stood at the head of the human race as the, as the federal representative of all of mankind. And he had been created as a, as a full-grown man, talking about Adam. But why not Jesus? We know that Jesus was called the, the second Adam. Why, why not Jesus? Why did he have to be brought into this world as, as a baby? He too was sent into the world to stand as the federal representative of, of God's children. Why did God send Jesus into the world as a baby? Well, first, Jesus needed to be the representative of people of all ages. And this is important for us to understand. He did not come to represent adults only. He came to represent infants. He came to represent babies. He came to represent children. He came to represent teenagers, boys and girls and adults. From birth as an infant to his death as, a, as an adult. Jesus represents all humanity. He represents all types of, of people. And secondly, Jesus needed to experience life at every stage so that he could be the perfect sympathizer, the perfect high priest, and the perfect savior. If Jesus had just come as an adult, children could say, well, he doesn't understand us because he was never a child. But that's not the case. Jesus went through all the stages of life so that he could perfectly sympathize. Now, there's an Irish legend that tells of a king who disguised himself and went into a banquet hall of one of, one of his, his barons, of one of his, of, of his subjects. And he was escorted to a, a lowly place among the, the, the throng of people who, who were at that feast. And of course, his conversation 
and his nobility and in his manner and his conduct, of course, soon attracted all the attention of, of the people. And then someone who had some authority, some status, recognized how people were, were drawn to him. And they said to him, you know, you shouldn't be sitting at this table. You need to be sitting at the, at the higher table. And of course, the same thing occurred once more. And soon he was seated amongst the, the nobles of the, of the land. And after a great display of wisdom, one of the, the lords spoke out and said, Sir, in truth, you speak like a king. And if you're not a king, you deserve to be a king. And of course, then the king removed his disguise and, and took his rightful place among his subjects. And I think this is a wonderful story of illustration of what's happening here. This is what should have happened when the Lord Jesus came to this earth. It should have happened. Although he was disguised as a lowly carpenter from, from Nazareth, he still was the, the king of kings and he still was the, the Lord of lords. But his subjects were so blinded by their own pride and their own sin that they were not willing to bow before him. Even though he repeatedly stated and gave sufficient proof and evidence that he was in fact the eternal son of God, that he came to redeem them, they rejected him, isn't it? They rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And I want to leave you this morning with, with, with one question, and a crucial question that all of us must answer and respond to. Who is Jesus Christ? If someone was to answer, ask you that question today, who is Jesus Christ? How would you respond? Do you recognize the Son of God as Jesus Christ? One day everybody will get it right, isn't it? And the Apostle Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth will bow under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven. But some will bow on that great day in terror as they hear the Lord tell them, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Because they responded too late. They responded to the most crucial of all questions. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in the Bible? But you can respond right. You can welcome Jesus as your Savior from God's judgment. And you can bow down before Him as your Lord. If you're willing to submit to the truths that are revealed to us right here in the Scripture. And you can hear Him say to you one day, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And I hope that all of us would hear that one day. When we get to meet our Savior. If he is your savior, let me encourage you today to imitate his example. Imitate him in your spiritual growth. Imitate him in your routine faithfulness in your home. As parents, as you raise your children, imitate him. Imitate him in your commitment to God's purpose for your life. And may God get all the glory from your efforts. And may your family and all people around you get all the joy as you faithfully 
honor our sovereign king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus again. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we can worship him together. Thank you, Lord, that the majority of the people here in this room have submitted to Jesus as their, their Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to be more effective in our, in our witness of our glorious King and Lord. Not just by our, our words, but by our actions. We pray for forgiveness, Lord, where, where we have not been living for His glory. We pray for forgiveness, Lord, where we have been pursuing our will over God's will. Forgive us, Lord, where we just flat out have been disobeying God's will. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Lord, if there are hearts that are still hearts of stone here this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would replace that heart with a heart of flesh. Crush that pride. Crush, Lord, that arrogance. And give them a heart of flesh that would respond to the gospel invitation. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, you came to give us hope. You came to give us life and life abundantly. But yet still people reject that wonderful offer of salvation instead for temporary passing moments that will never satisfy the soul. Grant us wisdom to see this, Lord. Help us to live lives of an example to our children that profess the glory of Christ, that show the glory of Christ. Lord, we need your help, Lord. We are a needy people, and you've told us when we lack wisdom to pray for it, and we ask, Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to live lives, Lord, that do indeed reflect faithfulness and reflect this wonderful God who came to save us from our sins. So Lord, please save those amongst us today that need to be saved. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room that needs to be saved, that they would come and talk to one of the elders today. That they would come and confess their need for the Savior who came to save us from our sins. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.